Welcome to Shortcut to Slim, a research-based podcast on dieting and nutrition, brought to you by GetMealPlans.com. I'm your host, Lindsay S. Nixon, and today's episode focuses on intermittent fasting, the science of cellular metabolism, and how a light bulb makes you fat. I know what you're thinking. Didn't she promise she would finally get to sugar cravings and gut bugs? I did, but after the last episode, a lot of emails came in asking about the science behind intermittent fasting, so here we are in another unexpected part two. And if you've hit a plateau with weight loss or you still think breakfast is the most important meal of the day, then you definitely want to listen to this episode. So what is intermittent fasting? It's fasting intermittently, voluntarily going set periods without food. Most IFers eat for eight hours a day, fasting the other 16. This is called the lean gains method. It doesn't matter when you start your window, just as long as it's the same window each day. I first blogged about intermittent fasting back in October of 2012, three and a half years ago. A bodybuilder suggested it to me when I hit a plateau for the second or maybe the third time. I ignored him, rattling off conventional wisdom about how breakfast was the most important meal of the day, you have to eat within an hour of waking up, you need six small meals, not eating was bad, blah, blah, blah. None of that is true, by the way. See the previous episode. He didn't offer a scientific rebuttal, just a simple, well, I do it and look at me. And sure, he was gorgeous, ripped, six-pack that looked airbrushed, lean, amazing skin. But since I liked science and excuses, I figured, well, he's a dude. He probably has a superpower metabolism and special DNA that I don't. So that explains it. Then the eight-hour diet was published in 2013. As much as I wanted to poke holes in another fad diet book, when I read the actual science, I couldn't. Not completely, anyway. Remember when I was talking about the slow metabolism myth in the previous episode, and I said the question shouldn't be, what can I do to speed up my metabolism, but instead, what can I do to make my body burn more fat? This is where intermittent fasting comes in. It's not a perfect cheat. You still can't eat all you want. All calories still count and so on. I'm getting ahead of myself. First, how does fasting work for promoting fat burning? In two ways. First, it powers up your mitochondria, the battery packs in your cells that form the basis of your metabolism. And second, intermittent fasting promotes fat burning. Let me back up. Let's talk about the science of cellular metabolism. Most of the cells in your body are a caboodle of organelles, many organs called mitochondria. This is where the biochemical processes of respiration and energy production occur. Zinczenko, who I'm going to refer to as Z for the rest of the episode because his name is a tongue twister for me, he's the former editor-in-chief of Men's Health magazine and author of The 8-Hour Diet. In the book, Z compares mitochondria to dimmer switches, garden hoses, and home generators because they increase and decrease energy flow and act as our own personal power plants. Basically, these guys are the engine in my Prius vs. Hummer metaphor. And like all engines, mitochondria will burn fuel more efficiently, produce more energy, and throw off less waste if they are properly maintained and not overused. 
except when you eat all day, your mitochondria never get a break from processing calories. It's like driving your car all day and all night and never stopping to change the oil. So what does this have to do with fat burning? Wouldn't an inefficient engine be ideal if weight loss is the sum game? Don't we want to be gas guzzling hummers? If only it were that simple. Your body stockpiles calories in two ways. In glycogen in your muscles and liver and as fat, which is stored in all the places you can pinch. The glycogen calories are quick burning and always ready, while your fat is the slow burning, saved for a rainy day calories. Using your groceries as an example, your glycogen is a bowl of fresh strawberries, instant food, while your fat is a can of dusty chickpeas way in the back of your pantry. So how do you get your body to use the stored up fat? The same way I get you to use the cannibal chickpeas, by taking all other energy sources, all other food options away. That one beautifully simple constant to weight loss, creating a caloric deficient, is accomplishing that. When your body needs more energy than it's been given, it starts tapping into storage, burning your fat for energy. Intermittent fasting simply gets your body to do that sooner. Let me explain. When you wake up, your body starts looking for energy to burn and to power up your arms and legs. So it goes straight to all that quick energy that's ready and waiting in your glycogen. You store about 1,500 to 2,000 calories there. But then you eat breakfast, oatmeal, a bagel, smoothie, whatever. And now your body has a new source of glycogen to burn, your breakfast. So it stops using what's stored up and switches to the newer stuff. Your body is thinking, why would I eat this dusty can of old chickpeas if there's fresh fruit available now? That fruit's going to go bad sooner too, so let's eat the strawberries and stick these chickpeas back in the pantry. What's another few days or months? It can wait. By eating, you basically are running out to the store and buying new groceries, rather than sucking it up and eating what's in your cupboard. And if you don't completely zero out your pantry before you go shopping or take care to only buy exactly what you need down to the last tablespoon of tomato paste, that's exactly how you'll end up with an overflowing pantry and excess body fat. Your pantry and belly are the same here. It's all food you took in and didn't use yet. To lose weight, you have to stop the overbuying and duplicate purchasing. Day after day, you do this with eating all the time. Yikes. Here's the good news. By intermittent fasting, you can burn more glycogen and consequently use up the fat stores sooner. It's like deciding you're not going to go to the grocery store and immediately replace the food you used. Instead, you decide you won't buy anything until you exhaust what's in the fridge and then use up whatever is in the pantry. Maybe now you really appreciate the futility of a pantry challenge. And if you're wondering about snacking late at night, yes, it is also refilling the supplies. It's the literal midnight run to the convenience store down the street. The more research I read, the more I realize it's not the time of day that causes weight gain, it's the constant resupply. It also doesn't help that foods people eat at night tend to be high calorie bombs that are more easily absorbed because they're super processed. Now I get to be controversial. 
a lot of people assume I'm anti-exercise. For the record, I'm not against physical movement in and of itself. I simply recognize that it's a lot easier to control calorie input for weight loss than it is to create a deficiency through calorie output. Z has a great statement in the 8-Hour Diet about this. He agrees with me. He says, It would take a 155-pound man 15 minutes of jogging to burn off a Twinkie, which is a lot of time to burn off something you ate in less than a minute. It's too difficult to create the necessary calorie deficit required for weight loss with exercise, especially if you are overeating, eating highly absorbent foods, and or have stored calories, aka excess fat already. It's so much easier to create that deficit via your diet, and intermittent fasting can help you double down on that investment. And if you still need more convincing that eating less frequently is a good idea, consider this. It's only in our very recent history that humans have had such glorious access to an abundance of food. Eating three meals a day is a habit exclusive to the developed world, and in a lot of developed countries like France, for example, snacking is still not really socially acceptable. That's a very American thing, which I'm sure we could trace back to marketing. There's also new revolutionary research beyond Rangham's energy theory of cooking that says humans are evolved to eat only a few hours per day. And all this constant eating is yet another reason why we're so obese. How a light bulb makes you fat. Take a look at a satellite night map. You know, those NASA maps that view from space where most of the map is dark, but you see big bright lights in cities like New York or Tokyo. I've included a link to these maps in the show notes. Visit getmealplan slash podcast to see them. Anyway, while looking at these maps, Sachi Danana Panda, PhD, realized where there are more lights, there is more diabetes. Dr. Panda doesn't just mean more diabetes cases, because that makes sense. There's more people in cities, so there's more everything. Dr. Panda means more in proportion, more risk. His theory is that the advent of artificial light led to an artificial extension of our feeding times. For most of human history, humans didn't have light. We had fire, true, but most humans couldn't afford to use fire after sunset because it exposed them to predators. It's only in the last 50 years that we've had light at night. Now, I know what you're thinking, only 50 years? That can't be right. I thought so too, and I fell down a rabbit hole on the history of the light bulb. There were lamps and bulbs in the 1930s, but it wasn't until the 1940s that fluorescence entered the picture. And this matters because fluorescence lasted about three times longer, which promoted more usage. The rapid adoption of linear fluorescence can be attributed to the need for energy-efficient lighting in American war plants. Then another energy shortage, the 1973 oil crisis, caused lighting engineers to develop a fluorescent bulb that could be used in residential applications. In 1976, Edward Hammer at GE figured out how to bend the fluorescent tube into a spiral shape, creating the first ever compact fluorescent light, or CFL. After a few design changes, early CFLs hit the market in the mid-1980s. I'm just old enough to remember the big and bulky bulbs of the 1990s and how often they didn't fit in our lamps. 
Now in 2016, we have LEDs and all kinds of super bulbs. I'll stop myself here. If you want to learn more about the history of the light bulb, see the show notes on getmealplans.com slash podcast for more reading. So 50 years of night lights, and interestingly, 50 years ago is when we first saw a rise in weight problems. Dr. Panda theorizes that artificial light led to an artificial extension of our feeding times, which interferes with our circadian rhythms. If you've ever been camping, that was probably the one and only time you've ever been truly in tune with your circadian rhythm, and that's assuming you got up and down with the sun. There's a natural stop sign with eating built into our circadian rhythms, but most of us run through it every day by eating later because we had to commute home or work out, etc. before we ate. Delayed eating, Dr. Panda says, throws off our digestive system, as well as the hormones and enzymes that manage it, which means you don't process and use the consumed energy as efficiently, which means more storage. Dr. Panza believes not following our circadian rhythms and reducing our fasting time between meals is a contributing cause to obesity and diabetes. If you're looking for another reason to batch cook the meal plans, I think this is a good one. It's too tiring to cook after a long day anyway, but the sooner you can eat, meaning the sooner you can start that fast or the closer you can live to your circadian rhythm, the better. So batch cook your meals, my friends. Dr. Panda also does a lot of research with mice. In one study, one group of mice were given the freedom to eat anything they wanted. 24 hours a day, it was a full buffet. The other group had the same freedom, but only for eight hours. The study lasted for 100 days. The eight-hour mice looked normal, but the 24-hour mice were practically twice their size. This makes me think back to what my husband said in the last episode. He believes intermittent fasting works simply because your head isn't in the trough as many hours per day. And I do think that is definitely part of it. Closing the window of opportunity to take in calories does make it easier to not overeat and create that deficit that's needed for weight loss. Though now I'm wondering about apostat. Remember from the first episode when I talked about how I became an overeater simply because I developed a habit of eating a lot of volume all the time? This next part is for my fellow overeaters. Dr. Panda further divided the mice, giving some of the mice a diet that was higher in fat. The mice who ate a healthier diet stuck to their normal eating patterns, but the mice on the high-fat diet tended to expand their eating time, nibbling all day and night. And just to throw a human study in the mix, in 2011, researchers followed the eating habits of 100 normal weight and 280 obese patients for two weeks. In both groups, the more calories someone ate at breakfast, the more total calories they ate for the rest of the day. If they ate a smaller breakfast or no breakfast at all, their total intake was less. Sidebar, have you ever thought about the word breakfast? It's literally break fast. I'll end this episode with one of Z's analogies that brings all of this information to life. Z compares the human body to an office building. He says, most people go into the office during the day, work for eight hours and go home. Then at night, the janitorial staff comes in to clean up the trash and repair the damage. The human body operates most efficiently on the same schedule. We just don't let it. 
A huge part of food isn't just nutrition. A lot of it is toxic, things our body doesn't need. And our stomachs and livers have to break them up and send them out. It's a huge amount of work, and it's causing a lot of damage to our system. The stomach lining has to regenerate once a day, and that happens in the middle of the night. You've been listening to Shortcut to Slim, brought to you by Meal Mentor. Download your free research-based seven-day meal plan at GetMealPlans.com and leave the guesswork and science to me. I'm your host, Lindsay S. Nixon, and I'll be back next week talking more about things like the light bulb because it's pretty crazy what our environment and what our homes have gone through and how they relate to us and obesity and how we can fix it all.